Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. Welcome everybody to the Phil Lacrosophy podcast, and I'm really excited to welcome Brian Kelly to the podcast. Brian is the head lacrosse coach at Calvert Hall, played at Carolina, and um, is uh, was a coach with one of my great friends, Dave Huntley, and really fired up to have you on the show here, Brian. How you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome, man. So, uh it's really great to have BK on because you, you wear so many hats and it's, you, you can provide so much information on, on everything. You are, you know, first and foremost, a, a, a dad, but you're also a high school coach. You're on a club organization. You played lacrosse at North Carolina. You are as cutting edge of a coach as there is. Congrats on winning that championship last year. And uh, we're going to discuss a ton of uh, different things, but why don't you start off just giving us a little bit of your background and talk about your, your journey as a player and coach. Yeah, I uh, got started playing lacrosse when I was 10. I'm the youngest of four brothers, and uh, my brother John uh, was the first one to kind of get rolling in lacrosse, and he was like in eighth grade and or seventh grade, and my brother Frank was uh, getting ready to be a freshman in, in high school, and my brother David and I were like two years apart. So he got started and we all got going in it and then I uh, started out as a midi um, and then I, they moved me to defense and, and when I was really at around 12 years old, which was great, I was blessed. I had some great coaches. Uh, my youth coaches were this guy, Bob Prater, who was phenomenal. Um, and I had my defensive coaches, a gentleman named Wes Bacher who played at Hopkins and you know, I was one of those kids that was bigger than stronger than everybody else, kind of hit puberty early. So I could have dominated at seventh and eighth grade, but they were wise enough to know that people were going to catch up to me. So they wouldn't let me throw checks or do anything like that. So I learned how to play good fundamental defense with my feet. And uh, that helped carry me a long way because it gave me a foundation that um, if I just was out there, if they were coaching me to win and dominate, I could have because I was just bigger, faster. And then everyone caught up to me physically in high school. And so fortunately I had that foundation that they, you know, I still felt like I was better than them as a player just because of the development and the coaching that I had. Um, Where'd you go to high school? I went to Calvert Hall. You went to Calvert Hall. Nice. So we didn't even know your teammates back in the day. Pardon me? Who were some of your teammates back in the day that went off to play college across? Attack was Chris Colbeck, Kevin Pelkey, uh, we had, uh, Brian Kronberger in the midfield. My brother, David was a really good attackman defensively it was myself, Carl Beard. Oh no, Carl went to played rec with Carl. Uh, I had a guy named Chris Kane who played at UMBC, Tommy Johnson who played at Loyola, Sean Smith. Um, you know, we had, we had some unbelievable players. Uh, Andy Droney went to Duke and played, um, uh, Michael Hefferty was one of my best friends. Uh, Brian. What's that? Did you guys win the uh, championship? No, we lost in the championship to Loyola in 87. So when I got to Calvert Hall, we, we weren't very good. So my freshman year, I think we were four and eight. 
And uh, Mike Thomas was the coach, and he just he was used to be the coach of the '70s. Stop. My freshman year was his first year back, and so he kind of kept a lot of us younger guys to rebuild. And yeah. we ended up being really good in my sophomore, junior, and senior year. Uh, we had four guys on that U19 team. So from my class, myself, my, uh, Mark Nugent, uh, Mike Heffernan, and um, who else did we have? God, there's one other guy, person. My mind's going blank. Nicole Beck. Yeah. So, so that was the very first year of the U19 USA team, right? Yes. Yep. And that my boy Andy Towers was on the team, right? Towers was on the team. And I stayed with him when we went up to play. I think we played Yale in a tournament up there. And so we stayed. I, stayed I played in that out. game. Yeah. I played I on the Yale team. There was a couple of brown guys that jumped on that team and played against you guys. Yeah, that was our first roll rollout together. I think you guys beat – that was the only game we lost. We did beat you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we got better from it. And then, you know, we ended up kind of, you know, winning the rest of it. Um, we had some really good players like Pat McCabe. Uh, yeah. Vivo, Malchione, myself defensively was fun. Jerry DiLorenzo, character in the goal. Panetta. Panetta. Uh, yeah, we had, you know, Coles, Nuge, you uh, know, just Towers. We, it, was, it was an awesome experience. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And so then you went out to Carolina. Yeah. You were a uh, class of what, 91? 91. 91. 91. So you won the championship. Yeah, senior year championship. It was great. Great group. It was probably, uh, I always say, I think out of my four years there, it could have probably been one of the least star-studded, talented teams, you know, but we just had great chemistry. I mean, we had guys that, obviously, Dennis was player of the year that year. Uh, Graham Harden, who was my uh, roommate, he was uh, defenseman, defensive player of the year. Uh, and then we had Andy Piazza, so he was the goalie of the year. But I think that had more to do with the, to the victor goes the spoils type of a thing. But they in my opinion, deserved it. So we had good talent, but we just put it together and it was Klarman's first year as a head coach and, you know, took over for Willie and Willie did a great job recruiting, bringing guys in and gave us the foundations and, you know, guys just did whatever we needed to do. We were like three midfields deep. We rode like crazy and uh, we had a really good team defense and it was a lot of fun. It was perfect timing that the uh, gates were gone. Yeah, well, that's what killed us. I mean, literally, we could never beat the Gates. So my, I think it, it was my junior year, uh, we played the Gates at Rutgers in the Final Four, and they just they annihilated us. Yeah. I remember I was going for a ground ball, and I checked him, and I had that wooden crooked arrow shaft, you know, yeah. back in the day, right on the kneecap, and he didn't even pause. You know, he just kept running right through it like it was nothing. So they, they were special. They were the best. Yeah. So then when did you start coaching? Right when I got out. So I graduated in 91. Um, I started working at Calvert Hall that spring in 92. I was the assistant on the varsity for Mike Thomas, who, you know, was a great coach. I was fortunate to play for him. And then I coached for, under him for one year. And then he had me become the JV coach for three. And then he retired in 95, after the 95 season. And then, you know, I applied for the job and I guess no one else applied for it because I got it. So I became the head coach in 96 as a 26-year-old kid. And wow. Been coaching ever since. Yep. I did not realize that you uh, that you started there in 96. I figured it was like a few years later. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And yeah. uh, you've had a, quite a crew of people coming through. One of my all-time favorite uh, Cardinals is uh, Don Torpy. My uh, former coach. Yep. Was, he was a beauty, the coach, though, wasn't he? 
he was the best. I coached Torpy was uh, a freshman. And I was the JV coach. Uh-huh. And I'll never forget him trying out. He had the tightest light blue sweatpants on ever. <laughs> it's still a visual I'm trying to get out of my head right now, but uh, it's there. And then uh, he, uh, my, se- my first year as a varsity coach was his senior year. So he was great. And, uh, you know, he's doing a great job at High Point. Yeah. And I love talking to Torps. We try to talk at least once or twice a month. And, you know, I can't, you know, view him as a great friend, but also someone who, you know, even though I'm a lot older than him, but we both kind of talk back and forth and share thoughts and how to handle situations and stuff. So, yeah, I have a lot of respect for Torpy. He's the best. I, uh, he, he was my assistant for five years at Denver. Yeah. And, um, man, we had, uh, we had such a good time. He's such a fun guy to be around. Yet he's so passionate. Um, and he, there might not be a more productive person on the planet than John Torpy. Like he literally can get more done before like 10 a.m. than most people get done in a month. And it's no exaggeration. Well, he, you know, you met his parents, obviously, and yes. they're great people who were hard, are hard workers. And Torpy was a hard worker. I mean, John was that little pudgy kid coming into Calvert Hall. You know, he wasn't uh, like he is today. Built like he was, you know, he's, he turned, he transformed himself through hard yeah. work and everything. Yeah. Became a really great college player at Ohio State and played professionally for a while. And if I saw him in ninth grade, I would have said, there's no way that kid would become a professional lacrosse player. But Torpy's a worker and he's yeah. a grinder. And he's the type of guy that he's tough, he's fair, but he cares about his kids. And every one of my Calvert Hall kids that have played for him, love him. Yeah, you know? no so, doubt. He's awesome. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 video assessment tool. Yeah. Um, so turning the page to, um, you know, jumping forward to last year, last year was uh, kind of the best of times and the worst of times. You know, you guys win the championship and your son is uh, a senior on the team. Um, yep. Your other son is a sophomore on the team. Um, you're too old, that is. Yep. And at the same time, you know, we all lose a great friend in Dave Huntley and, and your uh, assistant coach in many ways, uh, probably uh, <laughs> it's funny to have an assistant coach who's also a mentor, but uh, yeah. let's talk a little bit about last year and let's talk a little bit about Hunts. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really hard, obviously. Um, Hunts was obviously one of my closest best friends ever. We talked every day and, um, you know, and to my kids, he was like their second father uh, in a lot of ways. And, in reality, he coached my boys. I never coached my boys. You know, like I when he, when my kids came to Calvert Hall, I gave them to him. So he had full authority to bench, start, whatever. I didn't. You know, we have a rule in my house because I'm their dad. I try not to talk lacrosse, Calvert Hall, at inside the house. So if I ever want to talk to them about Calvert Hall or about the team, we go out in the driveway and talk. Just That's a great rule. I'm going to have to institute that one. Yeah, and um, that helped me. I was dealing with a sports psychologist since 2011. He kind of shared that idea with me, and I was like, you know, I like that. And So my kids don't like it when it's 22 degrees out in Baltimore that we're going outside <laughs> to talk in the driveway. But I try to do it. I can't say I do it all the time, uh, but it's a good rule. So Hunts was their coach, and, you know, I never forget the moment when I had to share with them that, you know, when Dave passed and just the, the tears and the pain in, in their eyes. But from a team perspective, we – um, you know, you couldn't replace him. Um, but our guys took some time trying to figure, you know, how to deal with it. 
Um, and it was a process. And we, our, our theme for that year was let's hunt 18, you know, um, hunts this Jersey and just was 18. And um, so we, that was the theme that we adopted and our kids really kind of just really wanted to play in his honor. Um, you know, and, and as competitive and as great a man as Hunts was, and, you know, everybody, we always want to win. It was never about the championship for Dave. Like, even if we didn't win the championship, it would have been a great year because the kids dedicated the season to them. So they didn't feel that type of pressure, you know, but they definitely wanted to win for him. And, you know, my son still says to this day, like, he's, you know, he still views him as an, an idol and, a you know, idol's a heavy word, but just one of the greatest coaches he's ever been around in his whole life. So I've been blessed by him. And, and he it was a mentor for me. You know, I never had anyone invest in me and teach me the game. So he's been coaching with me since 2002, 2003, when his son was there. We kind of – he coached with me, started in Kevin's junior year. He was going to coach with me. It's funny story. He was going to coach with me my sophomore year, his sophomore year. And I said, I'm like, Dave, well, look, I, I got to ask Kevin if he is okay with you coaching. And, uh, and, and he said, um, you know, go right ahead. And so I brought Kevin in. I said, Kev, you know, your dad wants to coach, you know, would you like him? How would you feel? He goes, I don't want him coaching. So I had to call Dave and I said, Dave, uh, you're out. You can't coach. You're out. You're something. <laughs> and so then like three days later, he calls me. He's like, well, I've talked to Kev. It's all good. So Dave was my defensive coordinator his first three years at Calvert Hall. He did not coach the offense. And, we won our first championship Kevin's junior year in 27 years. So, and that was in 2003. And, uh, but Dave is, as you know, Jamie, I mean, he's, uh, he was an incredible thinker. Uh, he was just cutting edge. He taught me a lot about building things around people's skill sets, you know, and just developing ideas and like everything we do at Calvert Hall um, drill wise has a meaning has a point. Uh, we just don't do drills to do drills. So, you know, we do drill, every drill we do is predicated on what we do offensively, defensively, stick work, everything. So it's fun. He's taught me how to think of new drills and do the ideas and not be afraid to take a chance, not be afraid to try something different. Um, and, uh, you know, that was hard early because, you know, it took me a while to, you know, uh, we didn't win right away, you know, so when you're on the hot seat or if you feel heat, it's hard to take chances. But Dave was great that way. So um, he was just incredible. So. He's like as interesting as he was interested. Yes. Really, you know, unique because a lot of people are really interesting, but, you know, they kind of do all the talking and, and Dave can talk. But he just wanted to hear. And, and the amazing thing about him, too, was that, like, he literally – you know, had an impact on like all my kids and they, he could have an impact on you and, and away from lacrosse, you know, like he could sit down and be just as happy to talk to my wife or my grandmother or anybody else on the planet about anything. Anything. And somehow he knew almost everything and about everything. I mean, it was insane that the guy could have a conversation, a, a deep conversation for hours. Um, I really think he's a genius. Like, not a lacrosse genius, like an intellectual yeah. genius. Like he would know wines. He would know technology, computers, whatever he got into, he, he would understand it. So like he was the guy that got us hooked up with different type of softwares that could help us become more efficient. 
um, you know, anything. Like right before he died, he got in, him and his wife Nancy went to France and they were touring Europe and he learned how to saber. I don't know if you know what sabering is. One of my favorite videos of Hunts that defines him. And I, right before all of our games, I would do a video and I did a video of Hunts, you know, for these guys. And uh, they loved it with him sabering this thing and, and, and uh, the champagne. And he just, whatever he did, he gave, went at 100%. And he, he yeah. was brilliant. And, and, you know, the one thing he wasn't good at, he's the worst scout in the history of the United States. Yeah, terrible scout when it comes to personnel and people because he thinks everybody was tragic. Or <laughs> they were, he's terrible. I'm like, no, he's sorry. I got He's terrible. He's tragic. I'm like, Dave, he had like five goals against. He's pretty good. Wow. <laughs> if you're not a Canadian or if you're, uh, if you're not, um, who's his favorite guy ever? Um, God, my mind, I can't believe I'm, I'm getting old, Jamie. Um, uh, brothers, brothers. Uh, oh, God. The Gate brothers? No, not the Gates. He's an American. Um, from oh, Rochester. He played at Maryland. Um, It'll, it'll come to me. I, I literally gone blank. But oh, Joe Walters? Joe Walters. Love Joe. Loves his all-time favorite. And I understand why, you know, American. You know, so, um, yeah, he, we had one game. We were playing McDonough. And this was before films and all that stuff. And he was scouting for it. He comes back. And he's like, oh, PK. They're, they're a JV, man. They're tragic. They're terrible. They're terrible. We're going to kill them. We're, you know, he, he used different language. And so – I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, you know, and I, I hadn't watched him play, so we're preparing for him. He gives us stuff, and he was great that way. We went out, we lost 14 to 12. And I come back in, and we meet in the coach's room. I said, I thought you said they were like a JV, man. They were pretty good, Dave. He goes, well, I didn't tell you, we're like a fresh sock. We suck. I mean, we're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you. I got to tell you. That's what you would always say. I got to tell you. And then he had the terminology American-Canadians. Yes. The American Canadian is like the, maybe the worst insult you can have, which is like a Canadian that plays like an American. He hated it. He so hated American. Junior B. Everyone's a junior B player. American Canadians. Yes. And he would but hate no. when the Canadian teams would come down and play like Americans. It drove him crazy. He hated that. You know, but the funny thing was is that while, he, while, while everybody was terrible on, on his team, though, he had an ability to believe in his guys – Totally. That was unbelievable. It's so hard. He could flick a switch and he would stand by you and live with it. And I'd be like, you know, Hunts, get him out, you know. And he just, you know, but, but like he said, my greatest strengths are also my greatest weaknesses. And that's, I have an ability to be hands off. And uh, it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. We, um, the last thing I want to say is just like, you know, I was going to do, I was, I was going to be in business with Hans. Um, yep. We were doing, we were going to be doing our coaches training program together. We are working on all these plans and we were going to have a podcast and it was going to be called the fuck me podcast because when Hans would get pissed yes. at the end of a rant, he would, it could be about officials. It could be about face-off guys. It could be about junior B lacrosse, American Canadians. And at the very end of it, he'd be like, fuck me. Oh, yeah. Every time he had a sofa in our coach's room and we'd come in and we'd lose a game or something, he would sit down and just plop in his big body and everything was the, you know, f***ing comment from Hunts. Oh, they get rolling and starting on things. And don't let him get started on the face-off because, you know, how he felt oh about face-off oh, men and <laughs> in general. But I will tell you, though, Jamie, he would have loved the, the video assessment thing that you did for my kids. Yeah, he he would have loved that, you know, so 
I don't yeah, know. I was showing him along the way as I was like creating all that stuff. I would like send it to Hans, and that it's part of what you know because he's like I said, he's as interested as he is interesting, and he just like loved lacrosse, loved talking about it, he loved learning it, loved it, and you know, like I, I sat there and I it when you when you that video assessment that you know I asked you to like you talked to me about, and yeah. I you know, sent you the videos of my older two boys and then you got it back and uh, they went through it and just kind of listened to what they were good at, but also what they weren't, that they needed to improve upon or work on their game. And you did it. I mean, it reminded me a lot of Hunts because Hunts had this ability to kind of do the same thing that you did. Um, share with you that areas of the game that you got to improve upon without making you feel like you're not a good player. You know, right. sometimes kids take – constructive criticism like they're not good well no like you're really good at this and you know and uh my kids worked on a lot of what you shared and it's helped them a, a ton and uh you know i even remember uh my son daniel saying it kind of felt like i was around hunts a little bit just a little bit of the nuances because hunts was a genius about just little things straight lining how to attack what to do yeah. um you know and and that assessment aspect of it and that's why i want to try to get all my calvert hall kids who can, you know, to, to take advantage of it because sometimes just getting a different voice. No doubt. Besides us as Calvin Hall coaches or anything else is important. And, um, you know, and that's where I think these guys, my boys, miss Dave's voice, you know. I, I, I'll never forget another time with Dave. Jake was going down for Carolina for one of those uh, – he already committed there and they were doing those – you could still do the recruiting committed guys and they're all doing this clinic. Yeah. And, you know, for them to assess. And, you know, I was all like, you got to be ready to go. And meanwhile, looking back, it really wasn't that big of a deal, but I'm like, you got to be ready, you know. <laughs> totally. So That's Dave the dad in you that I have in me as well. Yeah. And he talked to him. He's like, hey, Kat, uh, Jacob, whatever you do, just go down there and piss on the fire hydrant. That's, that was his term, piss on the fire hydrant. Like, mark your territory. Own your territory. <laughs> so, to this day, I still use that term with him. I'm like, hey, Jake, just go piss on the fire hydrant. So Dave had some great ones, man. Yeah, yeah it's pretty special. Yeah. Uh, it must have been, you know, um, so bittersweet to win the championship last year. Um, you know, just uh, the emotions of winning it and the emotions of, you know, Hunts should be standing there with you. You know, what was all that like as far as that, that, that accomplishment, how it felt and, and, you know, all of it. And having your sons on the team. Well, it was special, you know, in that – it was hard. Uh, if you, there, this kid followed us around and did a video of the championship game, um, it's on YouTube, not to put a plug, but it, I, I really felt like he captured everything. Um, that uh, in the semi, the day of the semifinal game, we lost our senior captain's dad as well, passed died. Oh man! So uh, you know, we had to play Loyola the day that he his dad died in the, in the semis, and he was ill, but we thought he was making a turn, and then all of a sudden, it just kind of went down so it, it captured that as well but I invited Kevin Michelle um Lucy Kevin's wife like uh, uh Michelle's husband and, and Nancy to the sidelines and uh we uh no one wore the number 18 at all throughout Calvert Hall and we autographed all the kids signed it and we handed it to them before the game and so they were on the sidelines the whole entire game and you know, I shared with the kids, you know, that's the first time, you know, we won the championship in 17 and I have every these pictures of Dave and I celebrating together. And, you know, it's hard to find pictures of Dave in any championship of these things that we've won together because it's always about the kids, you know, so Dave was always in the background. 
uh, even though he had a critical part of it. But I shared with the kids in the video, like, you know, this is the first championship I've been a part of without Coach Huntley on the sidelines, you know. And um, so it was bittersweet. It was, you know, exciting. But there was a massive void and painful. And, um, you know, so there was a lot, you know, that went along with it that, uh, but it was awesome to celebrate it with the Huntleys and it was hard for them too. You know, I think it was really hard for Nancy. Um, they we invited him back in the locker room and, you know, they were like, they couldn't, we're not there yet, you know, which was great, you know, so, but they're doing well. Kevin just had his first baby. Yep. And um, so a little boy and his middle name's David after his father. So um, they're doing well. And so, and then Michelle moved back to Baltimore. She was oh, Yep. Yeah. So, um, I hope to catch up with them in the spring. Um, so, uh, yeah, well, that's a great story. And thanks for sharing that. Um, turning the page, uh, to a new topic. Um, let's talk a little bit about the MIA. There's a lot of coaches, um, that listen to this, uh, a lot of high school coaches that, you know, and, and former high school coaches like me that, that wish we had the opportunity to play in your league. I, mm -hmm. I, I think that, that there's a lot of great leagues, you know, year in, year out in Philly and up in Long Island. And, you know, there's great teams upstate in Connecticut and, you know, the Hill Academy. There's, there's good teams all over the place. Um, but there's something about your conference from a, from a competitive perspective and how much everybody cares about it. And just talk a little bit about, um, a, 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 you know, give us all a, a taste of kind of what it's like to play and how competitive it is and how good the coaching is and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, um, Joel Tinney's working with me on our staff, and we were just, you know, I was asking questions about Culver and what was it like. And, you know, he would always share how big it was for them to play the MIA schools in March, you know. And so funny in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't even count March. You're like, I want to win, but like, I'm thinking about April and March, to be honest. Like, I'm trying yeah. to, you know, I use those games as tune ups. And so we might lose some. Because I'm, to me, the whole mythical national championship is a myth, you know, so I don't really take any stock in it. I mean, I, I'd love to, you know, be number one in the country if they think we are, but, you know, it, it is what, it's not what I'm preparing for. I'm trying to win the MIA. Yeah. I'm not trying to win the mythical national championship. And um, it's just, it's a, for, for, from a coaching perspective, uh, I'll gain about 10, 15 pounds because I won't have time to work out, you know, and I'll watch film all night long and you play Tuesday, Friday, and every team can beat you. And if you don't come prepared, it's very difficult. It's very hard to go undefeated in our league. It's just hard. I don't think anybody really understands. It's like the NFL in a sense of the parity aspect of it. Um, uh, maybe not as much parity, but like you still have your top – six teams, any one of us can win, win the championship, you know, in a lot of ways, um, you know, and then, you know, you have teams that might not be in the playoffs that they're going to come up and bite you and they can beat you, you know, so from a preparation, you have to be prepared. You have to know what your competition is. There's great coaches. Um, they figure you're out. So you have to be able to adjust. Um, and then, you know, so you have to be prepared for anything that comes your way. And, um, so from that, it, it, it's, there's nothing better. And the other thing that I think it does a great job is the league prepares these kids for the next level, I think, because we adopt every NCAA rule change. So we're going to the 82nd rule and the, the dive. And so, there are some coaches who didn't want to do it, but I'm like, you know, we have to do it. This is what we, this is what separates us. So why we, wouldn't 
yeah, it, we, our job is, you know, I have a list of core values and one of my core values is to prepare our kids for the next level, emotionally, physically, lacrosse, spiritually, all of it. So, you know, this is one of the ways that we do that. So, um, so we're adopting that, which I'm excited about, we'll see how that goes. So, um, it's just great. It's great competition. And then, you know, we play a good out of conference schedule as well. So, to so how many, uh, you guys, when, when is the MIA kickoff? When are you allowed to start practicing? February 19th is when you're allowed to start. Uh, I think it's the 19th or, or the 20th. Um, so the, the, the rules that you have in our league is in the off season, you're only allowed three hours of skill work. Yeah. So we That's really don't. You could, so three hours of practice. I could do three hours of practice if I want. If I just took a goalie out, three goalies, and worked with them for two hours, that's my two hours. It's done, you know. Now, if I took, you know, so you have to utilize it. Um, I also think, you know, um, I want our kids to want to play in May. So I don't overdo it in the offseason at all. So, like, we'll play in um, the NHLS ball event. I'll have two practices. You know, that's it. And yeah. Uh, you know, I'll play kids that I think uh, are good players, but also play some guys that are seniors that aren't being recruited yet that I need to get out there or haven't made a commitment yet. So you kind of look at it a little bit differently. So, you know, we'll play some teams. Like, I think we're playing IMG. I'm sure they've played a lot, and, you know, we're not going to because I want our kids hungry in May. Yeah. I don't want them burnt out. Like, I don't – you know, and I think sometimes I used to – we, early on in my career, we were always good in March and April, and then we would peter out. And then just watching Duke's success back in the early 2000s, just kind of seeing how Donowski got their kids proven at the right time. It's something that I think there's a, a science to it. I don't necessarily know if I have it down packed, but sometimes I think less is more. Yeah, you know? so, yeah no doubt. So, so basically in the fall, you really don't utilize your three hours very often except for maybe – you know, a couple practices before the fall ball event where you play as a high school team. And yeah, then, so then, you, exactly. then in January, February, before you're the 19th, you start using your three hours to start getting, you know, uh, just sharpened up a little bit. Yeah, so, like, we'll start in December. We'll do some Fridays of indoor, just an hour and a half. And uh, we'll play indoor. Uh, we don't play in a league. We just work on ourselves. Um, and work on Calvert Hall stuff. I mean, I'll do everything that Hunt's taught me. You know, yeah. I'm not going to pretend I'm an indoor guy because I really don't. I just observe. I let Dave, Dave would run it, and we just work on our skills. And then we'd have fun. We'd play. You know, we have three teams, and we divide up the teams as equally as we can, and kids just get up and down and roll it out. And the kids love it. And we're done by 7, 30, 8 o'clock. We'll start at, like, 6, 30, um, and then we'll go to 8. So we just go an hour and a half in, in that. And then, you know, it's their responsibility to be big boys and work on their game. You know, um, I think we spend more time in the weight room and work out there. And then the reason why we do is because we don't have our kids don't reclassify. Our kids are 17 and 18. So we don't have uh, middle school. So we're the only team in the conference that's ever won a championship without a middle school. And so the majority of the teams we play are a little, you know, not a good, are older than us. So I look at it like we got to physically be bigger, faster, stronger. So to me, I put we put a lot of emphasis in the weight room. There. So the standard practice of reclassifying or actually repeating is what usually happens that you know, yeah. they want to go to a private school, they repeat eighth grade and, and, and they, they have the opportunity to, to do that. Yeah. And so I'm not saying, you know, and look, I'm not against 
yeah. kids who have academic issues or emotional issues or things that they got to work through. But, you know, I just got to look at what we are and who we are. And reality, yeah. I got to figure out how to get us. Now, do I have a couple kids that yeah, I might have some older kids, but I don't have a ton of them. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, so we have to really reevaluate. And that's kind of how I look at everything. I really first look at my, our team and look at what we can do to get better. Um, not what everybody else is doing. I can't worry about what other people are doing because um, what they do might fit their program better than what it would do to fit our program. So, yeah. well, it's an exciting league to play in. I mean, you know, just, it's just uh, so you're, you're, you're lucky to be able to uh, be the coach at Calvert Hall and be with all those kids and all that tradition and um, that great competition. And, you know, and, and there's so much passion. You know, I mean, just in Baltimore in general, you're lucky because, you know, for a lacrosse junkie like me, I wish there was uh, lacrosse on the front page of the uh, newspaper in Denver or wherever else I'm living. With Baltimore Sun, they, they put lacrosse on the cover. And yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. It is. You can be spoiled by it, you know. Uh, sometimes for us, you know, we stress with our kids, it's lacrosse is what you do. It's not who you are. Right. Because uh, sometimes around here, it can be kind of a cult-like and yeah. your identity can be – you know who you're this lacrosse player and you know i really stress to our guys i want their identity to be who they are as people um and you know i want you to be great lacrosse players we want to win and sure. that's what your goal should be to be the best that you can be with your god-given talent so um and it's it's a great thing but you know it can get a little overwhelming yeah. for these guys in some levels um the pressure is pretty high um i'm sure it's there in long island and other places that across our country as well but yeah, it can, it, it is, these guys are under a microscope around here and uh, they need, they, they understand that. So they better understand it. So. It's amazing. We were just talking about the amount of depth and talents in that, in that league. You know, you have a, you know, pretty much unrecruited defensive shorty that has good enough student to go to Carolina and he looks like he might be a starter down there. And it's, yeah. uh, you know, it's just unbelievable. Just player after player after player. Really cool. Um, you know, you also have, you know, uh, an abundance of great lacrosse around you, whether, you know, with the, especially in the, at the college level. And, you know, one of my favorite things to do with you is, and, and, and the same thing was with Hans is talk lacrosse, talk shop. And one of the ways that I, quote, sharpen my saw. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 video assessment tool. So my, my question to you is, what are some of the ways, you know, that you try to get better and learn and stay cutting edge? Um, you know, when you talk about your, you know, one of your, one of your uh, core values is to prepare your players for the next level. It's important that you know what's happening at the next level. And so maybe yeah. you can share a little bit about how you go about doing that. Well, like every year I try to go to a different college. I'll call coaches to see if I can come out and watch them play and what they do. Um, you know, three years ago I went to Notre Dame and spent time with Jerry Byrne and just kind of learned what they did defensively. Um, last year I spent some time at Ohio State just picking, you know, Brad Ross's, Coach Myers, Travis Crane's brains and just watching and observing. Um, you know, I've been down to obviously Carolina. Uh, I've been to, you know, watch Maryland some. Um, I've talked to Charlie Toomey in the past, and I'm trying to get to watch them this year if I can. I haven't reached out to them, but that's my goal. Yeah. Um, so I, I try to go to college coaches. I also talk to Coach Stimmel at Yale. Um, 
and I'm trying. I'd like to try to get up there just to see and and wow. learn and and just watch. And these guys, coaches are all very open, you know. And you can learn a lot. I'd love to go to UVA. I'd love to go to Duke. You know, I love, yeah. love talking to Ron Caputo about lacrosse. You know, it's one of my. Yeah, favorites. He knows you're like you know you're 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 currently like you know. Uh, competitor now since your son's at Carolina they can't share everything with you the way you could yeah I mean they might not do that now but like <laughs> I don't know I mean I know I'm just joking I think but... he would too you know like Ron, Ron is the best I mean I find he's one of my favorite people in the whole I, I totally agree with you world. and um I, I, I consider him a dear friend you know and just someone that I I talk to and ask for advice you know, and I like to ask, like, as I said, Joel Tini, I, I am asking him 100 questions. and Just, like, what do you do? Show me this. Give me your drills. Run your drills. So, like, I have him run the drill, like, what he was doing so I can just watch, you know, see what he's doing. Uh, so, he's helping me coach my son's 2023 team, you know. And so, you know, we're just kind of – we use them as our experiment a little bit. And so, it's been fun um, talking to you. I'll watch film. I like watching games. Um, I don't get to watch a ton of college games. I love picking the – you know who else I really love talking to is Jenny Levy um, yeah. from the women's game. I, I learned – I mean, just the backer zone, picking the brain. Like, what's a backer – you know, because I, I just think you can learn from it. And I do think the, the other thing that I do a lot of is I go on and watch basketball drills and I watch yeah. basketball. Talk to so, me about the uh, read, read and react that you uh, turned Hunts onto and it changed his world. Yeah, it's funny. It's a great story. So, uh, Hunts took a break for a little bit where he was just kind of evaluating and scouting us when Kevin was in college at Hopkins. And so, when Kevin graduated, he's like, hey, I want to get back in. You want me back in? I'm like, yeah, you're always in. So, he came back and we were, and I told him, I was like, look, I really want to try to get some type of a heavier motion type offense and really, because we weren't very big, we're really small. And I'm like, you know, we're not going to be able to dodge. And, you know, we got to do this. This is back in uh, – no, that's 2011-ish, you know. And so he then uh, – that year uh, we didn't really find anything. And so – but I was coaching my son Jake's basketball team, and he was probably 10 at the time. And, um, you know, I didn't I, – I was like, I got to figure out something on how to coach his basketball team. So I started doing some searches, and I came across this thing on Read and React. And I was watching it, and I'm like, I love this. And so – I bought all the tapes and all the videos and everything and just started implementing it into Jake's basketball team. And cause we had, we were really small and we ran a five guard set and they would call it five out and teach how to pass cut and all these things. And so fast forward to Dave coming back, Dave's calls me one night and he doesn't even know this is before he was even coaching again with us. He's like, BK man, I got it. I found the off. I found it. It's awesome. I'm like, what, what did you find? He goes, I found this thing called read and react. Got, got to check it out. So I'm like, all right. So um, we're checking it. I go, he, he's telling me all about it. I'm like, Dave, I have every video of it. I've been doing it. <laughs> Coaching basketball is what I've been running. He's like, what? He's like, yeah. And he's like, so literally in 2012, which was probably the most talented team that I had, we incorporated it into that team. And Patrick Kelly and Ryan Brown, we – we put it in with those guys. They helped. You couldn't run it exactly like they did in basketball, but we took a lot of what they do and we still apply it to today. Yep. And we were, you know, we, we told them what we we're doing and they helped us build it in the off season. And we just kind of pulled around and we played basketball instead of indoor and we just did basketball and 
there were so many kids that were really bad at basketball that couldn't dribble on our team, so we let them travel. <laughs> we just, just kind of played them. Dave would make up this basketball game, and the kids loved it. And then we put it in, and literally by this end of the season, we knew anybody, you know, literally we were playing boys Latin in the semis, and I'll never forget it. And as you as a coach, you know when you have those games and your players don't have it, like you can tell there's like a heaviness to your team. Yeah. And we felt like there was a heaviness to our team, and we were down 6-3 at halftime. And we came in, and literally in the locker room, um, Dave and I were walking in together, and we're like, if we don't have it, we gotta, we're going to have to whip the mule. You know, we got to get these guys rolling. So Patrick Kelly comes up to us, and uh, he goes, Coach, you know, look, I think if we set the sit kick here seven yards higher, like up to the 10, and do this and make this one adjustment because this is what they're doing off of the read and react, we'll score. And so you're like, you're right. And then the one thing is they were putting a guy on the backside. And so we dragged the X guy to the front. So they had to get to the post and we, then we could put somebody on the backside nest and where they were sliding from. And we just made one little adjustment. And then the second half, Patrick had four assists. We scored four goals right away. And then we ended up winning, you know, and that's what it gave you because the kids learned how to read the defense and right. then you can incorporate and bring it into you. And so, you know, that's kind of where I'm at, even at the youth level. My ultimate goal as a youth coach is to teach our kids how to read a defense offensively. And I want to win, but I'm not going to compromise the fundamentals of learning how to read a defense, how to read a pick, how to read all these little nuances. Um, you know, you can draw up all the plays you want to win a game, you know, People are playing zone at the youth level, which I think is awful, in my opinion, because you're not teaching the kids the fundamentals of how to play defense, right? So, but you can run a zone to win, but I'm not going to run a zone. You'll never see me run a zone, even if we got all the biggest and fattest slows guys. So um, that's kind of where we got with the read and react. And then we still incorporate a lot of it today, um, but you have to base it off of what your team and your personnel. Yeah, no doubt. And, and um, it's, I, I spent a lot of time studying basketball over my lifetime of coaching as well. I remember going out to really getting into Bobby Knight in Indiana basketball in the mid early nineties. Um, and I remember I, I actually wrote Bobby Knight a letter and asked him if I could come to a practice. And so, yeah, you know, I was coaching at Yale at the time, this was 1994. And uh, I used to go on a little ski trip before I was married, I'd go out and ski for a couple of weeks in Utah. I uh, would go to Alta, get two weeks in, then I'd come back. That'd be the end of my skiing. Um, but on this this time, I stopped in Bloomington on the way back. Bobby Knight re responded. I got a letter back from Bobby Knight, Captain, and he's like, "Sure, you can come. I, I won't meet with you. Uh, I don't meet with anybody, you know. Um, but you can, you know, but you're welcome to come. Just check in with our train, you know, our head manager." So there was about 13 managers. This is 1994. Wow. I go and I spend two full days with the head manager, watching film with them, taking notes, watching practice. Uh, the stands were filled with coaches internationally. I mean, there were coaches from everywhere, every country you can imagine. Um, and um, I just remember learning so much about motion offense and about team defense. You know, the, the principles are so amazing. They are, they can be hard to translate a little bit with, from basketball to lacrosse just based on spacing and, and yes. you know, the fact that, yeah. you know, you, you, you can't feed people that are as covered in lacrosse as you can in basketball and stuff like that. But, but the concepts are all right on the, and the reading of the defense was, you know, the, probably the main thing that Bobby Knight talked about so often, but there were so many things that I learned, you know, the way he taught the three-step V cut, 
was a fundamental on how he taught Avika. And I, I, I ran with that in my life and that really it built all a lot of the dodging premises of, of learning how to have great footwork. And so anyways, uh, really interesting stuff. Um, you know, as far as sharpening your saw, it's like, to me, one little piece can make such a huge difference. And a lot of times it's right in front of you in another sport or with a person you haven't talked to yet. So I tell everybody, if you go to one clinic and you learn one thing, it's worth it. You know, and to me, um, if I can just get, I, I'm when the day you feel like you know it and you don't want to learn anymore is when you should stop. You know, you got to get out because there's so many different ways you can do it. And um, there's so many creative people that are willing to share their ideas and their thoughts. And, um, you know, there's just, that's the beauty of the sport. There's a lot of people that are very generous with their intellectual knowledge on someone like yourself. I mean, I've learned a ton by just going on your, your training program, you know, and just learning and watching your training program, the coach's training program, just doing like little things on the two man game to just even playing some of the three V three in the backyard and just kind of looking at little things that, but, and then I, I have all my coaches go on it and look at it just to, to, to pick, you know, like before you start trying to refigure something out, go look at this and you can see or whatever. Um, so, you know, having tools like that you have is huge, you know, and so, and then the beauty of YouTube is, you know, you can, you can search anything. I, I have a, my six year, my son just turned seven today, my youngest, and uh, he doesn't even like lacrosse. He loves soccer. Right. And he thinks he's the greatest defensive soccer player ever to play, which I'm glad he is, but he's really not. He's, you know, he's just out there trying and kind of gets blown by a little bit, but he goes on YouTube and insert and tries to figure out and watch how to play soccer defense, you know? And I'm like, that's pretty cool. You know? So there's a lot of things that you can do, but just even, you know, if I'm a coach and I'm telling our guys go on your coaching training program, find drills, find things, you know, even like with Joel Tinney, I, like, he's helping me. I said, Joel, write down all your favorite drills. You know, I want to learn them. I want to see them, you know? So it's, it's fun. It's fun yeah. to learn. It is, man. I agree. Like, you know, the best coaches, the best coaches are truly always searching for more information. And so many times it's just, um, it doesn't mean you're going to change everything you believe. It just means that there's that one little thing that it's, even if it's just a way of explaining something that can be so powerful. Well, like teaching, like I, I, one day uh, Patrick Kelly was coming back and he was um, doing a clinic and we were talking about, you know, someone sent a pick and you're the ball carrier. And he learned this from Metsy at Carolina is that, you know, you always teach him to rub the shoulder, but he talked, he used the analogy of like punch the door open. And so it helped a lot of kids. And like, especially at Calvert we have one of the best dyslexic programs in our, in, in the state. And so we have a lot of kids who have, you know, dyslexia or whatever. And every, you got to figure out different terms that they can use. And so when you take punch the door open, that taught the kids to open, to slip it the right way. And a lot of guys understood that analogy. And I'm like, I still use that today, you know, of like punching the door open. So that guy now knows how to open up on right. the pick instead of turning the wrong way or this way. Once you hit the shoulder, then they're like, oh, okay, I get it. Okay, I got that. And that teaches them how to open up off the slip. So, you know, just little term like that that I learned from him that he learned from Metsy that, that I just kind of apply now, you know. So, so so just so I can understand it, so our listeners can understand, punch the door open means if you're setting a pick at X and a man's running uh, left-handed, that he's going to hit your right shoulder and you're going to pivot on your left foot to open up. 
So exactly. you're seeing it. And, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, let, letting, yourself, letting yourself get moved a little bit, like you're opening up a door on its hinges like that. So your pivot would be kind of the equivalent of the hinges. Yeah, and, we, and like at Capital, we probably pick more on the wings than we do behind. Yeah. yeah. So it's really great for a wing guy because then you can open it up and then you're slipping to the goal. You know right. what I mean? It's such a bad habit to turn your back to the ball because you just won't catch a ball when you can't see the pass coming. If you have right. to, try to pick it up in midair, you won't catch it. And that's, that is like the, you know, the biggest thing that you learn in box lacrosse, honestly, that, you know, all Americans, you know, they don't do a lot of picking. They don't open up that way. Yeah. Well, like even like Joel Tinney was talking about how like he, he likes to keep a stick by his head when he's in yeah. tight. Yeah. You know, and that gives you, and I, I never knew, I never, that's the first time I've ever heard that was like three weeks ago for me. And I was like, well, that's a pretty good idea. You know, can you yeah. do that with some of our guys, you know, it's, kind of in the, um, it's in the mold of the, uh, of the twister really where your, your hands, you're literally, your hands are in front of your face. Yeah. Your stick is almost like, you know, if you took a picture straight on, it would look like it was coming right out of your head and it gives you an ability to, 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 to actually angle your stick for a far side reach or a, or a near side twister. And you can, you can shoot with more angle to the near side, which can allow you to then hold the goalie on that to reach or do whatever you want. Yeah. And that's exactly what he said. And he, I think he learned it from either John Grant Jr. or from like the Thompsons. I think he said from the natives, you know, yep. um, and just, you know, he, you know, talking, I was listening to somebody else who talked about, uh, junior talking about the head of your stick and how that should really be your eyes instead of your eyes, you know, right. and, yeah. wow, I never thought, I mean that, you know what I mean? You just, there's so much to learn that are little intricacies of the game and just the, the way it's communicated that can help somebody, you know? So I just, yeah. it's fun. Yeah. It's, it's honestly, it's one of the most fun parts. You know, I'd say the relationships are the best and the next part is really just this game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So many great ways to play it, you know, and you watch what Yale did this year. Yeah. You know, and just even in that championship game, and I was talking to Stimmel, and I'm like, did you notice something on film? Because we call it when the guy kind of comes from the inside and the guy pushes up, like pushes up, and the inside guy kind of comes under or over based off of where he moves. We call that guy the whip. And I'm like, were you, did you notice something? Like, yeah, we saw something on the film, and that's why we hit him on the drag because the they were, you know, and they scored the first three or four goals. If you remember that inside guy, yeah, went off a subtle little, yeah, I call it a mirror. And yeah, uh, mirror, yeah. And you know, what they did is they mirrored with that Godet guy, yeah. And they're like, they they showed off him once, and all of a sudden, bang, goal. And they're like, right. okay, we better not mirror, and we better not show off the mirror. And then they, and then they mirrored, you know, then Godet did it again, and then you know Reeves gets right to the net because there's no help because they're afraid to show at all. And then the next time they mirror with somebody else and they show and yeah, so it's, and it's um, not complicated. No, it's not. It's not. And I think sometimes like some coaches want you to think how smart they are. Uh, keep it simple, stupid. That, and then that was just simple. And those kids all made the right read, you know, yeah. and it was, and then Duke made a great adjustment to it. Like after the third goal, I mean, you know, it takes some time to figure out what they're yeah. doing. It's a lot easier to watch it on TV and figure it out than it is when you're there. It's a lot. It's very hard when you're on I the side. I watched that game. I, I literally just watched that game and clipped out, you know, yesterday, the, you know, Wednesday, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. And um, it was so impressive to watch how well they played both teams on both, both sides mm -hmm. of the ball. I mean, absolutely amazing. I mean, Duke, uh, 
you know, Duke just didn't have their best day. I mean, Yale might have been the better team anyways. Who knows? But, but you know, Duke, Duke just didn't shoot it as well as they could have, and, and, and maybe that could have been your classic overtime game. But, um, but Duke cranked up the pressure on Yale and got themselves back in the game. I mean, by, by nearly putting pressure with their poles and on adjacents and the shorts. And, and Yale just played with so much toughness and intelligence and their 10-man ride and they're just their balance and all these guys stepping up and, you know, the way they dodged both teams, they dodged so interestingly, you know, I was, I was, I'm a big believer, you know, I told Hunts about this, but you know, the, the idea of the, what I call double threat or the walk in dodge when you get really close to your guy, we've talked about that. Yeah. It's a, it's a posture. It's a box lacrosse dodging posture in which, you know, you're basically in this athletic dodging posture, low cradle, two hands on your stick. It clearly looks like you're dodging, but it, it keeps your man from over approaching you. Right. But, but when you can get really close to your guy, like just outside of his ability to cross check you. And that includes with poles too. Like if you can, you can get inside the length of the pole and bounce a little bit, you can get a step more easily because they have no cushion, right? It's just simple. Like if you don't have a cushion, whatever step you got, you can use to turn the corner. And in that game, Almost every dodge was a dodge like that. There was almost no long dodging. You know, the, 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 the days of the, you know, for them, the Paul Rabel, Stephen Pizer, you know, going to run at you and stuff. Not, not that that didn't work. Those guys were amazing players. But it was amazing to watch those guys from two different programs create so much offense um, in the way they dodged, the way they moved the ball, the way they shot in their two-man games. And, you know, I, I really love and have, I've studied both of those programs quite a bit. It's pretty awesome. Well, I thought like even Reese, you know, people would say he didn't get his numbers right from a goals. And I thought he played brilliantly. He did. I thought he had a, a phenomenal game. And, you know, unfortunately in the world today, they look based off of stats, right. you know, and it wasn't one of his typical stat games. But where he impressed me the most is I felt like he made, and I always feel like if you're attacking, your job's to make everybody else certain attacking have to be the quarterback and make everybody else better. And I felt yeah. like for him, he never forced it. He never took anything. Didn't like take any bad shots. Didn't take any bad shots. He knew that this was what they were going to do, and he allowed everyone else to step up. And it showed great maturity on his part. And I felt like, to me, that probably was one of the best games. And, again, I, 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 didn't, I can't sit there and say I watch 100 – a ton of college across because I'm just busy in the spring watching, worrying about my own team, but I watched Yale a good amount. And um, I thought he played a brilliant game, a brilliant game. And it just wasn't that type of game from a, I just, I, I love, I just appreciated how great of a game he played. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't based, you know, sometimes he didn't, you know, you know, kids don't get rewarded for a brilliant game because they didn't score three goals or two assists, but they still play up like a brilliant game, you know, and still are the best players on the field, even though they didn't score, you know, he was, he's the best player on the field. You know? Let's take that concept and segue it into our last topic, which is a really interesting one. There's a lot of, there's a, honestly, it's funny. There's a lot of like parents that, that jump on this podcast because they're just curious to know, like, you know, this is, they're curious to know what college coaches or, you know, high school coaches or pros, or they just want to know, you know, what's, what's in that, you know, what people are thinking, what people are doing. And one of the topics out there is recruiting. So many, so many kids are playing the game. So many kids want to play division one lacrosse and, you know, taking the idea that you just talked about with Ben Reeves was, you know, you can play a great 
game and not score a ton of goals and you will be noticed. You can play a great game and be a great ball mover and a great team player um, and be noticed. You can have five goals in a game and think you played your best game ever and not get recruited. Yeah. Um, you know, so you are, you know, you've been a high school coach since 96. You, you run the FCA Baltimore program and you've got some of the most competitive club teams at various grade levels in the country. You uh, have, you know, a boy is a freshman at Carolina, uh, another one, you know, committed to Carolina. you got younger boys. You, you've sort of seen it all. Give us, a th- give us give some people some thoughts on recruiting as far as the m- mentality and preparation and, and kind of where to – and priorities. Um, you know, I, I sit here and I, the term I like to use a lot with kids that, like, I'm taking our FCA 2020s this weekend up to the Turp Classic in Philadelphia. And, um, you know, we have a good amount of kids that are committing right now, but we have a lot of pretty good kids that aren't committed, right? And so they're all stressed out. And, you know, we had our last practice, and we practiced two or three times. And I said to the kids, like, you know, hit singles. You don't need to hit doubles or triples. And, you know, like what my point of it is, is play smart, play and just let the game, you know, play hard. But sometimes these kids feel like they have to make the home run play. They feel like they have to dodge back and forth 15 times and not get guys involved. And college coaches like to see that um, attackman who, when the midi draws the ball and throws it down to X, that they move it right away to the weak side so that guy can attack, right? Um, And then after a while, if they make that adjustment, they're looking for the attackman who can make the right read. Well, now it might be time for me to go or do these type of little things. Um, and I think what happens is these kids get so caught up in trying to impress um, that they start, you know, doing too much and it hurts their stock because they view them as selfish or like they're not getting everybody else involved or getting guys better. Um, college coaches love it when a guy picks up a ground ball, looks to move it right away. You know, a college coach loves hearing a defenseman talk. Um, we have a young man who's going to Ohio State, Jacob Snyder. Uh, who's the senior, and uh, it's interesting, you know, the, talking with Connor Marr, who's the freshman at Carolina, D. Mitty, said, I still haven't played with anyone who talks better than Snyder. And that's what Ohio State, like, we love the way he talks. And he's going to be a great two or three cover an off-ball guy. And, you know, me personally, I bet he starts as a freshman because he's that good, you know. So most people would watch and be like, who's Jake Snyder? They don't even know who he is. You know, I don't even know if he's ranked in the top 100 of inside lacrosse, but I can tell you. I watch all these other guys. I'm like, I'd take Jake Snyder over those other guys. And that's how college coaches view it. They, that helps, but it, it, it isn't the end all be all, you know? So, you know, for myself with, with what I'm at with our guys is, you know, um, a lot of our better guys are playing football or soccer, so they're not going to be there this weekend. So it gives some of these other guys a great opportunity. And I'm just like, just let's just play simple, play simple, play smart, play hard and play together. You know, and that's what these guys are looking at. And they're also looking at if you're a good teammate. You know, are you yelling at your guy who drops the ball or are you hustling and getting back? Tackling ride. Are you in the huddle? I tell our guys, whenever there's a huddle, they look to see who's, like, sitting at the bench, who's in, who's engaged. They look to see who's encouraging the other teammates when they come off the field. And they're watching the parents because I can tell you, I don't want parents that are wackos in my program who are going to drive me crazy, you know. Um, So they evaluate a lot of it. So I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah, no, it totally does. I mean, there's, you know, these are just such great, you know, 
tips that, you know, a lot of people just don't know. I mean, I've heard so, you know, Dom Starjit was my coach in college and he was a great recruiter and talent evaluator. And he would always say, I feel like I could recruit you on your worst day. Yes. I would agree with that. Like, and, and if I can give anybody some parents advice, one, when your kid has a bad day, they know it. They don't need to hear it from you. They really don't. Um, the best thing, if you can ever deal with a kid, if your kid doesn't perform well, don't talk to him after the game. Let him go home, let him take a shower, let him have dinner. And if he wants to bring it up, let him bring it up. Um, and I learned that through working through a sports psychologist as a coach with my team. But then it really helped me as a parent. It helped me in the recruiting. It helped me in a lot of things. Um, so as a parent. It's out in the driveway. What? Unless it's out in the driveway. Well, with the Calvert Hall stuff, it's out of the driveway, outside in the driveway. But, like, no, you know, yeah, you're right, though. There's not – I mean, I, I'm not perfect. I don't do it always right, you know. And so yeah. – um, and it's okay. But these guys know the pressure on them is immense, you know. And I always tell them, like, you know, you got to – this is how I feel. You got to play for an audience of one, you know. And that for us, it's God. You know, God gave you the gifts. He gives you the ability. Just play for him. Don't look to the sides at the coaches because once you start trying to play for them that's when the fear and anxiety gets up and then you just can't perform go out and play have fun if you make a mistake it's next play and i do agree with coach that sometimes they're in their worst days you can still tell him well, you can tell if a guy's a great player just because he didn't finish his best or because he dropped the ball or two i mean you can see athleticism you can see communication you can see fundamentals you can see off the ball movement you can see all these things that that all add up you know and it's true. I, could, I mean i could i i definitely could you know just because a guy misses all his shots doesn't mean i don't want him i mean it's just like it happens sometimes. you just you know, some people judge their performance based on you know, how well they shot you know and for the same reason like i said before like i've had i've seen parents be like i mean they, i can't believe my son didn't get recruited he had five goals in that game and so and so got recruited and he only had one yeah. you're not looking you know at, at, at you know of course you, you want goals to go in and it's better if they go in I mean, there's no doubt about it but you know you can get recruited on your worst day I, I have a question for you though I think one of the you know it's it's funny because I remember talking to Lars Tiffany about this um he and I were captains at Brown together and have stayed tight over the years of coaching um I remember talking to him about recruiting defensemen and I was like so Lars um you know, what do you look for in recruiting a defenseman? And he's like, well, you know, I pretty much, um, I look for feet and, you know, coverability first. And I was like, yeah, cool. Awesome. You know, size. To, and then I was like, so um, now who plays for you? Like do the best cover guys or the smartest guys play for you? <laughs> and he's like, well, actually the smartest guys play for me. And, and you know, the funny thing is, is all college coaches do because they kind of have to, and there's a good reason for it, but they get caught up in, um, and I don't mean this in a bad way at all because I was the same way, but you get caught up in offensive players that can beat their guy and defensive players that can stop a guy. That's, mm -hmm. that, that, that tends to be, you know, a, a check mark or an X. Like if, you, if they feel like you can't beat somebody or if they feel like you can't cover somebody, yet, you know, if you look at the, the very best players on these teams, um, it, 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 there's, there's more to it than that. And, but I think at the same time, if you're trying to get recruited and you never dodge, you know, you're probably not going to get recruited. So it's really difficult to, I shouldn't say never, but, but you know what I mean, but what, what's your opinion on how you, how you figure that, that, that out? Because. Well, know, I mean, I think um, that's the mistake 
in my opinion, college coaches make some. They all recruit number ones. Like I go on ones, twos, and threes. Uh, like I tell our kids in, in anything, you're off ball 90% of the time. You're on the ball maybe 5 10% of the time. What's more important? Right. Your off ball play is way more important to me than your on ball play. And, uh, you know, again, you need a number one. You need a guy who can cover, but you don't need four of them. Right. right? So, to me, I'm looking for number ones. I'm looking for a guy who can quarterback my team that's not slow. You know, you can't be a three and slow because everybody's good in college, right? So, you, I'm looking for a guy who can communicate. I'm looking – I'd be watching how they move their head, how their stance is, where they are, um, you know, because off ball's hard. And, uh, you know, and again, I think Brian Brown's a pretty good player, did pretty well in the world games. He didn't dodge once, right? So – um, you know, to me, guys who can get open, who don't dodge, that's a skill set that many kids do not have. And I think through our, uh, um, you know, you don't need three, you don't need five X attacking. You don't need all these guys. So me personally, if I was a college coach, I, had, I would have what I want, what I'm looking for, and what I'm building. And I know I'd be looking for an off-ball guy who can put the ball in the back of the net. Um, I don't need this. So uh, I look at, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to coach Ryan Brown. Um, we didn't ask him to dodge. You know, he wanted to dodge early on, but I'll never forget his senior year. He was a Dodger his freshman, sophomore and junior year, and he wanted to continue to be a Dodger. And Dave and I both talked and he didn't like it at first, but like we felt like you go to the next level, you're going to be an off ball guy. So let's get work on your off ball game. And he can dodge. Ryan can dodge. He's a good dodger even now, but his his skill set's fine in space, and he's the best shooter out there, right? And he is one of my. I mean, and again, it's a skill set that I think is something that really translates great in college and translates really great in the in the pros. You so, have to be able to understand how to move without the ball and how to just move the ball. I mean, just like there's a beauty in just being able to throw a 20-yard rope to X. Look, there is a situation where we, we count hockey assists. And, you know, um, the thing that, you know, you look at the ball moves, and Mitty makes a great move, and he bangs it to X, and the guy just, it dies. And if he got it really quick to the weak side and that guy scores, the guy who started to dodge gets an assist, and the guy who bangs it quickly gets an assist. And – People don't appreciate that. And, I, I mean, I was telling you earlier that I was watching one of the fall games that we were watching, and um, if the, there was one pass that got down to a certain – it got to X, and if that particular player just moved it really quickly to the weak side, that other guy could have scored. But it, it kind of died in the stick. And, you know, I think college coaches look at that, and they appreciate yeah. that. Um, so, you know, there are little things that I think people don't truly understand and parents don't really get why certain kids get recruited because they might not look the part, but they just are efficient, they're smart. And you look at plus minuses for us as a coach in a program, we, we grade plus minus. So to me, I want an efficient player. I don't need a guy who can put the ball in the back of the net three times, but turns the ball over seven and doesn't ride hard and then gets three penalties. You know what I mean? And Or that's a volume shooter. Yeah, what's that? Or like Hunts would always talk about these volume shooters when they talk about volume shooters, like three, three goals on 12 shots or something. Yeah. I mean, like you see these, some of these kids, I watch them, they, you know, and they, 
they, they come out of the summer event and they score four goals, but they also dodged 21 times and they, they lost 12-8 and they shot 30 shots and no one else got in. And, you know, to me, that's not what I like to watch personally, but, you know, but what I like might be different than from what somebody else. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and everyone likes something different anyways. I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, and again, if you're a Lyle Thompson, I would let you dodge a hundred times, you know, you know, yeah. you're the man, you know, if you're, yeah. Uh, John Grant Jr., you're getting the ball in your stick. You know, you got to have guys that that are that great of players. It, you know, Gary Gates should dodge every time he gets the ball. You know, like he can do whatever he wants. He's Gary and Paul Gates. So, um, but there's not a lot of them. There's just not. And I think there's guys, you know, um, that are great without the ball in the stick. And I think it's an art that cutting – People don't emphasize enough. They don't. Right. Playing without the ball. wait for the ball to get to them. They just literally wait for the ball to maybe come to them. When if they would just cut the middle, they could come back out and probably still get the ball and have, like, done a few things. Here's another thing. And, and I, watch, I watch my son play a ton of box lacrosse, and he sets he, – he really plays, you know – and he, he got himself on the floor when he was young and when they won a Minto Cup, mostly because of his way he moved without the ball. He, would, he literally was so active off the ball, wasn't afraid to get his head knocked off when he was cutting the middle. But setting off-ball up picks and then cutting to the net, I'm telling you, man, I, if, that's, if that's all you did in your club, you'd, you'd get three or four shots a game off of that because literally it's, if you just bring and make someone think they have to switch and then cut, you're open all day. Well, my, like Sam, I don't want to talk about, but, but my son Daniel, he's a junior. I mean, he had 48 goals. He never dodged for us. We, I know. I did an assessment on him, and like literally the dodging set. He can dodge. Yeah. He can dodge, but we didn't need him to because yeah. we had other guys that could that were seniors, right? So all he did was pick, find space, get open. But he also had 25 assists because he got the ball in and out of his stick very quickly, and he would move it and create it. And then, you know, but – these people who evaluate and watch sometimes like they only really love the Dodger, you know, and can do this. Yeah. And I, and I get it. Wise, because there's a lot of programs that if you can't, you know, you just not going to generate offense if you can't draw a slide. And, and that's the difference of the haves and the have nots with a lot of talent. You know, I mean, it's easier to be the off ball guy who doesn't have to dodge when they can put a short stick on you and you still don't have to dodge because you got all these guys that can run by poles, you know? So there well, is he's going to dodge this year. I mean, that's yeah, what we right. need to do. So he's going to play it, but at, but at the same time, I'm so fired up for him because he's going to be a kid that is going to know how to – he knows how to play without the ball on a stick, and then he'll become a better Dodger. Which, yeah. We need. And that's the thing I think for I, – I worry about some kids that just have the volume, the volume, the volume, the volume, that, you know, they'll figure it out after freshman, sophomore year. But you have to – if you can get that – aspect of your game later on, early on in your career and in the club level or in the high school level, you know, that will translate and help you at the next level, if, you know, and then, you know, I look at Colin and he's a kid who can do that. He can play with or without the ball on a stick. There's a lot of kids who can't, they can, they only know how to play with the ball on their stick, you know, so. The, um, the last thing uh, I was going to sort of make a remark on recruiting and like, you know, when, when I was recruiting so much of what I would try to do was try to figure out players. <laughs> Maybe it was because it just got so boring to watch the same old alley dodge on every single, you know, game you went to. Oh yeah. That would be a podcast. Huh? Yes. Yes. Um, but um, the, um, 
it was just looking for players that did interesting things, that did different things, that just, I mean, like literally just pure, like interesting, like, you know, maybe they, you know, did a redodge of some kind that was like, huh, that was like yeah. a little bit different, you know, that had a repertoire of stuff that they did. Yeah. And I think that it's sad, but almost all players out there that are, there's so many good players, but they kind of only do the same thing over and over and over and over. They just literally just keep doing the same thing. And, you know, to be able to have some repertoire as, as it's just, a, you know, if I was going to give some advice, like use your skills, think about what your skills are and try to use different things, dodge from a different spot, you know, move without the ball, do something different than other than just the same old alley dodge every time. Well, I think part of the problem that you have is that these kids are being evaluated every time they play. Yeah. Either by coaches. Hard. And they might even be recruited and have already committed, but they're being evaluated by their rankings, right? And so it's, it's hard for them to really want to be creative and fail in front of certain people who are evaluating them on their ranking. They always feel like they have to perform. And I think it's difficult to really work on your game from that perspective because, you know, that's why you got to put the blinders on and not worry about all that stuff, you know. And, hey, you know, my son's got to work on his right hand. It's going to be really good for him this weekend to play right-handed. And he might yeah. get stripped three or four times, and then you have people like, oh, that kid's overrated. Not that kid, whatever, yeah. You know, and you got to say you can't play for them. You can't, you know, so you have a lot of kids on our team. Like, we got Jack Stusen. He's a defender. He's going to Yale. He's awesome. He's a phenomenal defenseman. He's at Gilman. He plays on our FCA team, and I think he should cover the number three, not the number one, because I want him to really work on his off-ball game. You know what I mean? And so people don't know that's why I'm doing it. I'm, You know, I'm not – so you, because I'm like, you know, I'm trying to prepare you for college, you know, get better off with the crease guy, you know, because, you know, we might need you to shut that guy down and help us to win. But for you, this is better for you, you know, and so, you know, and it's hard for me to do that to him, too, because if I see certain people there and, you know, you just want them to perform. So I wish the kids could do some fun lacrosse without people always watching and that they can fail and be OK with failing. And you got to give kids freedom to fail and freedom to succeed. And it's okay to fail and try. The worst thing is not to try and, and not to fail, you know, so, so often kids are just afraid to, to try. Yeah. And I think you would see so much more creativity, so much more uh, risk um, and, and do those type of things. So um, that's just my own personal opinion of why I don't think you see it as much. Because yeah, I agree with you, man. Totally agree. It's hard. There's not a whole lot of pickup, you know, lacrosse being played, and there's a lot of a lot of coaches working hard, and and uh, they might, you know, they might want to control things more at some times than they could or should or whatever. But uh, yeah, well, I really appreciate all the time, BK. Um, really enjoyed talking to you. Great stories, great insights. Um, I hope that the coaches and parents and whoever was listening to this got as much out of it as I just did. It was fun, and I look forward to. Uh, standing um in the corner you know of uh, games in the spring with you away from you know the majority of people so <laughs> yeah well, it, yeah i am too and uh you know i just one two jamie i uh, i more importantly i just value our friendship you know i'm not to get soft but it's been you know a blessing for me to get to know you better and better and not everything and i think what you do for the game is is amazing and i think all the uh, the in information that you provide for me and for others. And I just like appreciate the fact that you share what you've learned and uh, you know, and you give it forward. And, and I, I'm glad that I'm, you know, 
you know, paying for your services to utilize it to, to learn more. But at the same time, I feel like we're just having a, this is a normal phone conversation, not, totally. not you know, podcast. Be recording at this time. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, awesome. yeah, but it's great. Well, thank you so much, BK. Have a, uh, have a great time. I'll, uh, I'm going to be in Baltimore. Um, I'm going to look you up next week. Next week. Yeah. I'll be turning 50 next week. I'll be in California. Just oh, wow. Yep. Big five. Right. Well, I'll yeah. be going for the IMLCA. So we got to catch up. Yeah, man. Awesome. All right, Thanks. All right, bud. See ya. The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you by JM3 Sports. Go to www.jm3video.com to get more information on the JM3 Video Assessment Tool.